For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Badger Football Podcast on the Believe Podcast Network, presented by BetOnline.ag. Once again, I'm Matt Perkins, joined as always by Badger Legend, back from homecoming, the Hebrew Hammer himself, Matt Bernstein. Uh, back from homecoming means like at least sixty percent of myself is left in Wisconsin. Uh, mostly my voice. If I sound hoarse, it's because I am screaming for the Badgers and basically not shutting off for like four straight days. Uh, but it's a holiday when we are on the podcast. Always a holiday on the podcast. I was lucky enough to bump into uh, this Badger, who I think everyone will be excited about. I'm surely excited about um, Chris Borland, one of the best to do it. Absolutely. One of literally my favorite players to watch. I know I, in the NFL, dude, when I watched you for one year, it was phenomenal. And I was a true fan. Um, and then from what you did from that point on, I mean, dude, couldn't be prouder of like a human being. And I never met you until I met you at that talk you did at Union South. And I was like blown away because um, I never met you really before that. So uh, the Chris Borland as a human is a special person on this earth. And I am just so happy that you you came to join us. Well, I, I really appreciate it. Uh, I also have lost my voice uh, homecoming weekend. Same reasons. Uh, a few beers, too. Um, but uh, it's so good to be on with you. Um, you know, there's a million podcasts in the world. Uh, and Matt, we're just meeting, but um, most of them shouldn't exist. I feel like Ber- Bernie belongs on a podcast. I'm so glad you're doing this and that you, you had me on. Um, yeah, this is going to be fun. Uh, I haven't had a chance to listen to many other episodes, but, um, I love what you guys are doing and, uh, thanks for having me. Of course. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm excited. You also, you know, you wore 44. That's one of my, that's one of my favorite numbers, if not my favorite number that was always (laughs) meaningful. And like I told Chris, uh, before we started, uh, I did my all 21st century Badger team, uh, last year. It's actually how Bernie and I met. Chris is uh, one of the two starting middle linebackers on the 21st Century Badgers alongside TJ Edwards. Uh, But before we get into the full backstory of one of all of our favorite Badgers of all time, want to remind you guys that we are brought to you by betonline.ag. BetOnline is the number one source for all of your online wagering needs. NFL, college football, that's what we're here about. No matter your sport, they've got it over at BetOnline. Make sure to head over or use to the website or use your promo code 
Uh, or, oh my God, I'm messing up this ad read today. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. I That's because Chris is so beautiful. I know. I can't <laughs> stop staring at that beautiful, beautiful face of his. No, head on over to betonline.ag or use the or use the mobile app to sign up today. Receive your 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit using the promo code believe that's B L E A V bet online where the game starts. I'm going to start by editing that out once we're done here, <laughs> but Bernie, where are we starting today, buddy? Oh my God. I wish we were starting. I hope everyone hears the actual outtake of that. Every was to me, it was perfect. Um, we're starting with like one of the best badgers to ever play in the position. Chris Borland. Yeah, Chris, well, we got to start. We got to start way back, baby. We got to. We got to bring it back. We'll, we'll talk about um, homecoming if we can remember most of it. But we, uh, Chris, I'm sure you can. I, as Joel Nellis said, I'm at a different speed um, than most people. But uh, Chris, you were definitely faster than me on the football field. What? What's a young Chris like? How does he get into sports? Like, who grew up? Like, who was like your influential? Like, hey, you should maybe play this sport because it's not normal. And for me, it was my mom, which I think moms nowadays are like, don't do it. So, um, like, how did you yeah. how did you get involved in football? Well, I, it's it's unique. I mean, I was born into it in many ways. My dad played college football at Miami University, and I'm the sixth of seven kids, um, Irish Catholic. So uh, my sister's the oldest, and then it's six boys. Um, so I think I, I went to my first high school basketball game when I was like four or five days old. Uh, I grew up watching all of my older siblings play uh, youth high school and they all played college sports too. Um, so it was like, there was no choice, but I absolutely loved it. Um, you know, our, we, <laughs> and my dad was strict about things in the house, but he let us go up to the local hardware store, buy spray paint, and spray paint our backyard different themes. We would Packers Field or Raiders or Notre Dame or Wisconsin. Um, and it's funny, I think about those, uh, you know, the people at the hardware store probably thought we were vandalizing uh, the neighborhood, but uh, just born into it and loved it. Um, you know, my whole, I had a lot of interests as a kid, but everything centered around sports. Um, and I think my older brothers fed into that. Uh, and also the neighborhood I grew up in, um, you know, we were right down the street from the elementary school we went to, which was a par Catholic parish. So there were a lot of big families with lots of boys um, that were slightly older than me. So it was a great breeding ground to, to become a good athlete. Um, you know, the reason I started with saying it was unique was that despite my dad being a college football player and one of our neighbors being the youth coach, um, he made all of us wait until high school to play. Um, so I, I played a lot of soccer growing up, uh, a lot of basketball, um, tried every sport, which I think is a great idea for kids. But every year I'd beg my dad, you know, let me just let me go off of football. All my friends are playing. I want to play, uh, Mr. Burr who lived two doors down and coached the youth team would, he had this conversation with my four older brothers and me, uh, he kind of come down to what amounted to recruiting visits. Like, Jeff, you got good athletes. My dad, why don't you let them go out for football this year? And my dad would say, oh, no, no, they, they can wait. Um, I'm glad he did. Uh, not really, you know, for health reasons, but um, I think for um, developing athleticism. Uh, you know, I'm a big proponent of, of youth playing a lot of sports. Um, I think soccer is great for developing uh, coordination with your feet and endurance. And 
When I so what was to, your favorite sport then if it wasn't football until high school? What was like six-year-old Chris's favorite sport? What were you like, oh my God, I can't wait to get out of bed and go play this today? <laughs> well, I played a lot of backyard football, um, but I would say soccer and basketball were my favorite. Um, uh, yeah, I, you know, all my older siblings, I'm actually the tallest in my family by like two inches. My mom is four uh, eleven, so she says she's five feet, but I think she's shrinking. Uh, so I, you know, people, uh, people think that I'm short or, uh, for a football player I am, but, uh, I'm lucky to be, uh, five eleven in the Borland family. Um, so I'd love to six feet online. So you're good, <laughs> dude, well, real quick. I would be scared. And I think everyone else would be if they tried to take your sister out on a date. Well, six she's younger the, brothers. She's the toughest. And uh, <laughs> I feel like she has to be. <laughs> she was. She really is. If you'd take one of, you know, and I've got two brothers in the military, one in special forces, you know, everyone played college sports. Uh, one person from my family in an alley, uh, I would take my sister. Um, she was a great Irish dancer and played rugby in college, too. So uh, I know you have that in common, Matt. Oh, yeah. You, had, there, I mean, there are a lot of amazing female athletes that have come out of Archbishop Alter as well. I mean, you think about Holly Mangold. I mean, she's one of the. I mean, she's one of the great female power lifters of all time. Holly's great. Yeah. So for those of listeners, um, Holly Mangold's the younger sister of Nick Mangold, who uh, long time center for the Jets. And uh, Holly was a year above me in high school and played on our football team. So, uh, you know, she was a backup offensive line person uh, and played on uh, PAT. Um, and she was a, a pretty good shot put and discus thrower. Um my dad coached shot put and discus at my high school. So I spent a lot of, I threw a little bit, uh, reluctantly. I didn't want to, um, I, I went out for track to get faster for football. And I, then my dad came out of retirement as the, as the throwing coach and he brought, I had never seen like shot put shoes and he brought them home and I thought they were ugly. And I'm like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to throw shot put. Uh, but I wound up doing it. And, uh, Holly had a good career in in high school uh, in track and a good career in football, and then um, got into weightlifting and powerlifting. She was always strong, um, but once she really focused on it, she she made the Olympics in Rio um, or London. I can't remember which one, maybe both. But um, great family. We're, we're close with the Mangolds, and um, yeah, good pedigree. That Nick and Holly's sister was a was a college swimmer too. So um, yeah, pretty impressive family. Fun fact, and Chris, I I would I feel like you went to Chicago for the Big Ten conference, the media days. Yeah, the media day, whatever it is. Yeah. So I went with Nick Mangold. Oh, uh, yeah. Funny <laughs> enough, <laughs> my high school was small enough uh, that. There were my brother wrestled and there weren't like a lot of wrestlers. So my brother was like 189 pounds and you have to wrestle Nick, who was 280 in practice every day. So uh, <laughs> he's, he's that's a scary thought as well. So so like so so you, you brought up that your dad didn't want anyone to play until you were in high school. Do you know? Do you ever ask him, like, what what was the thought around that? Yeah. Um, and he's he's told me many times, I think. When I was a kid, he would just say, ah, you can wait. Um, I think it was more about some about concern about health. This would predate any concerns about, you know, repetitive brain injury. But sure. um, just, you know, he's got seven, seven kids, six boys, and doesn't want to deal with, you know, broken bones every fall. Um, 
but also I think athleticism, um, you know, it's, uh, I don't think he thinks very highly of, uh, third and fourth graders playing football. Um, and I don't either. I think it's, it's, um, it's a, it's a game that requires, you know, some muscle development and explosion. And it's really not the same game when you watch little tykes out there versus junior high, high school. Um, so I think he was right in that. And I think it, it, it paid off in many ways. Um, when I showed up, I, my first year was, was my freshman year of high school. And when I showed up, like the football players were complaining that two days were hard. It was a breeze coming from soccer conditioning and I was faster and had better footwork, uh, and a lot of the guys that had only played football and maybe baseball and basketball. Um, so I, I think it was a great idea. And I, I had, um, you know, I loved soccer. I still do. I'll play a little bit of a pickup here and there. Um, I like, you know, I, I should have probably been a kicker and punter. I think I was better at that than linebackers. So I missed, I'd, I'd still be playing, but um, yeah, I think my dad was wise. Is it wise for like your thought process now is, I mean, are you, if you had some kids and you're like, I'll let you do what you want. Is football possible? I know we're going down, you're, we're going down a different path, but is football a possibility for your children or it's wait until, because now a hot thing is um, flag football. Yeah, no, and I'm encouraged to see that. You know, I went back. Youth football is huge in Southwest Ohio. Um, most of my friends started playing in third grade. Um, you know, and when I've gone back to Dayton, where I grew up uh, over the years, in the last few years, you see more and more signs for flag and flag leagues exist. I know Drew Brees has been uh, championing that effort, and there's leagues popping up across the country. Um, so is football an option for a hypothetical child of mine? Yeah. Um, I think there's no reason to play before high school. Flag's a great alternative. Um, so is soccer, which has its own issue with brain injury. But um, USA Soccer's done a good job of, of banning heading in leagues. Um, football's unique because, you know, you can have hockey without checking. You can have soccer without heading. Um, flag football's a different game. And I know the NFL's been... Uh, They've been embracing it more lately, but they're, you know, they're behind USA football and, you know, they, they promote the, the safe tackling technique videos that they share with moms across the country. Uh, I think it's just a better idea to play flag or, or play a sport where you don't hit your head. You know, I, I never thought of the physical development of like, cause I've started third grade. It was just kind of like what you did. There was no huge hits, but you got into little, little hits. And now we know that little hits can are still just as bad as, Maybe not just as bad, but not good when it comes to your brain. And also in third grade, you're developing your brain. Yeah, I mean, we're developing our brain. You and I might still be developing our brain, Bernie, but... Uh, <laughs> I think I'm declining <laughs> development in my brain very quickly. Uh, you're clearly thriving. Um, <laughs> Thank yeah, you, by the way. Of course. Uh, and I, Do you recognize this cup? Uh, yeah, I love <laughs> it. <laughs> Uh, we can talk more about that later. It's just a coincidence, but um, yeah, the brains are still developing. Um, you know, they are through your mid twenties as a male. Um, you're right that there's the concern of the accumulation of subconcussive hits. Um, and there was a study done at Virginia tech about, about the G force that uh, young football players receive. And it's actually similar because their necks aren't as strong. So you can imagine the whiplash when they fall to the ground. Um so I'm sorry that you know might be some bad news, but uh, I think it well, might also, be... but you think about at that level. I mean, I don't know about you, Burn, but when I was first, I didn't actually go for football at that age because if I if I had gone out at that age, my the weight levels were so different 
four people that, you know, I was like 40 pounds heavier than all the kids because I'm a large person that all the kids, you know, are around me. I've had to play with much older kids. So you get sort of like it's you're damned if you do, damned if you don't with that kind of thing. Well, but back then, literally, there was almost zero studies done yeah, and nobody exactly. everyone's like your bell got rung. I weigh too much as a fourth grader so i had to practice with the fifth and sixth graders so you talk about like physical development that is lunacy in today's day and age and so we can go back to that i think the neck is huge that you mentioned it and no one everyone's like oh look bernie your neck's huge it literally helped me in football outside of football it does not help me i can't put a shirt on um uh, but you mentioned that and i don't think people take as much stock in how important strength in your neck is football is huge obviously but other sports because when you fall backwards and you can't stop that impact because your neck is weak or even take kids from the sides, literally your neck is the only thing stopping you from getting a huge, huge, huge hit. So yeah, I, th- I think that's super important. I agree. I, you know, I don't know much about the interplay with, with injury and, and neck strength, but just anecdotally, like, yeah, I know that I would strengthen my neck beginning in high school through college and the pros. And I, it certainly prevented uh, uh, as much of uh you know, a sway or a, uh, when I got took a hard hit. I was well, really nervous for kids going backwards, getting hit and getting knocked over because th- no one's – you can look at it, nobody's head stops going backwards. And those, to me, you're not prepared for, right? Like you don't know – you can't see it coming. At, at least when you see it coming, you can kind of like get into your protective shell. Well, it's a good point. And um, like – when you're very young or if you're not a great athlete and you don't fall well, I mean, I know that sounds kind of strange, but like a lot of injuries occur on the fall. You think of like old people, you know, like the fall. Um, so if you can, you know, in soccer, you don't fall quite as much as football and you get a chance to learn how to do it well. Um, even today, I'll, I'll see college or, or pro players that land hard when they fall and don't roll or, or brace themselves and, um, you know, head injuries and also physical injuries. You, you've seen arms come down first when it should be rolling on the shoulder. And- I mean, even before he had the head injury, I think Tua Tungavailoa always fell weird. And then you got the two concussions in very rapid form. But I just want to mention about the falling thing. My wife is a gymnast growing up and they learn how to like one of the first things they learn how to do is learn how to fall. Right. And I think that's actually like a really good skill to ha- as a football player. That is something that they actually should probably be developed more and more. I hadn't never even thought about that until now. But I want to go back to high school. I want to back. When do colleges start noticing Chris Borland on the football field? Well, take us back. What's ninth grade like for you coming in as a freshman in high school is pretty different. I played a ton of backyard football with a lot of kids that were Charlie. good high school athletes that Charlie. Um, you know, played football. And uh but I'd never put on pads. I'd never worn a helmet and ran a route and caught a pass. Um, so I, I can remember the first practice, like padded practice, and everyone's excited. It's the first time we're hitting. It's padded. I like picked up a girdle, and I didn't. The hip pads didn't look like they fit to my hip. I didn't know where they should go. I thought you just kind of put the girdle on first, and then the, the pants were tight enough to hold the pads. So I just put them in my pants, uh, and pads were flying all over the place. I was taking handoffs. I'd never taken a handoff. I was playing running back. I was just reaching out for the ball and grabbing it. And then I'd hold it in one hand and like make three jukes in the backfield. I'd never hit a hole. I didn't know what ABC gap were. Um, So for the first like five, 10 minutes, I was getting yelled at and doing everything wrong and like making 10 people miss, but gaining three yards, uh, (laughs) you know, getting yelled at. 
So I was like, wait, did I, and I was a good soccer player. And I, you know, I played two years up on a team that won the state championship. My soccer coach said like, what are you doing going out for football? Um, so I, for a second there, I thought, uh, I might've made a bad decision, but, um, adjusted quickly. And you know, within that first practice was, I got it, you know, um, hit the hole and don't make as many jukes and you take a hand off like this. <laughs> um, is a pretty simple game. You don't have to, uh, I mean, schematically it's really complicated, but just like, if you're a good athlete, um, you'll find a way to play. And, um, I knew within that first season, my freshman year that, like I had fallen in love with football and, and, you know, wanted to focus on it throughout high school. I still played basketball. I played tennis my freshman year. And then my dad brought home those uh, throwing shoes that broke my heart. And I, uh, I ran a little bit and threw track. I love that you played tennis, dude. You must've been such a good athlete in high school. Well, I, I it's funny. There's a, I think tennis is a great, um, is great tr- cross training for linebacker. And there was the guy that, Barry coached at Iowa named Larry Station, who uh, was like a 5'11", 220 type of linebacker. Probably the best Big Ten linebacker of the 80s. Like, just unbelievable line. Unbelievable linebacker. Everywhere. Just everywhere. It's because he's a good tennis player. Uh, he, he He had scholarship offers coming out of high school to play D1 linebacker or play tennis. Um, if you think about it, you're always shuffling lateral movement. It's basically a constant linebacker. Like drill. reacting. Yeah. yeah. I never thought of that. That's a, that's amazing. Yeah. And I just liked tennis, but uh, <laughs> I, at that time I didn't, I didn't really even play defense until my senior year and I never played like linebacker. Um, so I just, my next door neighbor coached the community college tennis team. And he used to take us growing up to go play on some clay courts and uh, you know, another facility. So I grew up, never got lessons or anything, but I think this guy got a kick out of, uh, you know, firing. He was, he was a semi-pro player and, and he would, <laughs> he would fire some serves at us and he, you know, got a kick out of seeing me and my brothers, you know, be able to return one out of every four or five. But um, also Bernie, it was a small school. It wasn't a tennis powerhouse. They just needed bodies. And I played, I played second doubles. I got a tennis, I got a tennis letter as a freshman, but uh, I still play and like it. I play. I'm big into pickleball now. Um, I was going to ask, there's Major League Pickleball now. Are you going to come out of retirement as a professional athlete for a little little pickleball action? LeBron's team? Everyone's buying a team now. Yeah, I know. It's like the fastest growing sport in America. Um, I want to, I have a hard time of of, uh, keeping hobbies fun. I, you know, I want to keep pickleball fun. You know, otherwise I'd practice for like four hours a day and try to make it pro. Um, Maybe darts. I I love darts. So maybe. if I go pro in another sport, it'll be, uh, on have the you gone to England for any of the dart tournaments? I don't have you watched, watched. Have you seen? Oh, it's incredible. Like the chanting, the it's, it's unbelievable. Bernie, you would love I mean, The crowd is literally just, it's like, just, it just it's seems a, like it's like bowling to me, like darts and bowling oh. is so exciting to watch, oh, but okay. darts. I mean, I've played darts. I'm not good. I love any game that you could go out and literally get a beer and play golf. Yeah. I'm in my sweet spot after two Guinness. I, that's when I'm drunk. <laughs> but uh, no, I have watched Matt and it's, it's, it's like great drama. The announcers are great. There's an up and coming uh, dart player from Scotland named Willie Borland. And I really want to get one of his, he looks like he's grown up in a pub throwing darts and eating <laughs> five food for uh, 20 years, but I really want to get a, a Willie Borland dart Jersey. 
I feel like you should definitely get that jersey. <laughs> you should trade him one. You should trade him a San Francisco one for. Uh, I think he would love that. But uh, yeah, maybe I'll reach out to <laughs> his people, meaning his his mom. But you uh, can literally find anyone and slide into somebody's DMs, dude. You can do it. <laughs> it's uh, somehow it's happened. It's it, it the world we live in. No, it's it's actually you know I'm not a big social media person, uh, but that's exactly how I use Twitter. Some somewhat for news, and then if there's someone that I want to connect with, I follow them and, and message them, um, and it's great for that. So I'll check if Willie Borland has a Twitter. But um, I, I, he's gonna blow up after this, man. <laughs> Wait, so Chris, go back. So you were running back. You didn't really play defense. You did in high school. No, I, I um, well, you know, when you're on the freshman team, you kind of do everything. Um, but I was primarily a running back and wide receiver, return kicks and punts and um, and punted and uh, did a little kicking. But um, I knew I, I played basketball my sophomore year and then I went out for track. And then by my junior year, um, it was just football and track. And I think that's when I set, started to get initial interest um, from colleges you know, I, I entered high school at, at five, five, one fifty five. Um, uh, I was a late bloomer and basically grew an inch or, you know, two or three inches and gained 20 pounds a year, um, throughout high school. I didn't start lifting weights until ninth grade. Um, so junior year, um, you know, I was at a really good program. We, um, you know, I lost two games in four years in high school. Um, and I knew kind of, you know, sophomore year, it was like a dream to play college football. I knew by junior year is a little bit more of a plan. Um, now I was still a five ten, you know, 190 pound, uh, you know, slow running back, but, uh, you know, school started to reach out. I, I can remember getting my f- first letters from, uh, like logos that I recognized and just like, I couldn't believe it was real. Like that's the real Iowa Hawkeye or, or, uh, you know, Louisville Cardinal. Um, and I didn't have any offers. I didn't have much real interest. I think some local Mac schools, um, Miami of Ohio would, would visit occasionally. Um, and so I kind of made an effort like after my junior year, like, I, you know, I think I can do it. Uh, let me see what that looks like. So, um, they, I don't know if they still have these, but they had like combines for high school athletes. Oh yeah. They're bigger Uh, than ever. Well, yeah, yeah. I don't, I'm sure there's many, but I, this was like uh spark was a company with a Q and they oh, yeah. work with Nike. Spark okay. scores. Yeah. If the yeah, spark score was over a hundred, you were like a really pro- good athlete. Then like 110, <laughs> 120. I remember like, I yeah. don't, it was, I remember, I remember this vividly because Leo Chanel apparently broke like all the spark records when he was in high school. Hey, that's uh, everybody knows their spark. <laughs> I, except for me, I don't know, but um, my brother was helping me kind of with the recruiting process. Um, he was an attorney and, and working in Dayton. And, and uh, so we, he signed me up for one of these spark things and he, we would lift weights together and just and run together. And uh, he, he missed the deadline for the local one. So I had to drive like five hours to Pittsburgh uh, and do the spark uh, combine. Is this an explicit podcast? Is there uh you can swear as much as you want. We we bleep it out. I'll, ble- and, uh, I'll, Dante's... I'll bleep it out and it doesn't bother me because I just well, no, Dante's like... had 48. <laughs> <laughs> we, have 40. 
Well, I like I splurged on like Adidas had just come out with those new uh, like tights that had the bands in them that would like like Dwight Howard used to wear them, and I like splurged and like I'm gonna run my fastest forty in these tights. They weren't intended to be worn without shorts over them. Like the crotch was like mesh that you could totally see through. <laughs> so I, I I noticed that at the moment where I like got in my track stance and looked down and like saw a couple pubic hairs sticking out. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm uh, that's amazing. Yeah. That's amazing. Well, Did you run your fastest forty times? Well, I, I just, I, I don't know. I was just uh, in a cloud of shame. The rest yeah. of the <laughs> I got to run to my shorts very quickly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I did my drills in shorts after the 40. Um, that went well. And I actually, it's, I think I got like third out of, you know, a few hundred kids. Uh, I don't know my spark score. Um, but that was the first thing that garnered interest. And um I met Cecil Martin there. He was doing, he was speaking to the campers. I went up and introduced myself and like, I'm a big Wisconsin fan and you know, Cecil, he's great. So he was great, man. I'd hate to go against you, even though I was like a 200 pound, uh, but uh, that went well. And then, so they invite the top performers there to uh, like a skills camp. And that one, that one was at Ohio state and went to that a few weeks later. Um, and one linebacker of the week, um, I hadn't, we were just doing drills. I hadn't still hadn't played linebacker, but I knew colleges were interested in me as a, as an athlete or a linebacker. Um, so Chris Gizzy, I think was the, the Packers strength coach. He was running the linebacker drills and he's a, that was a thrill for me. Marcus Freeman had just graduated Ohio state. So he was, uh, and he's from Dayton. So, uh, I got to meet him. It was a cool camp. Um, so ironically, um, Wisconsin players kind of dominated it. Um, all these guys from Ohio, Brian Wozniak, uh, Jeff Duckworth was the wide receiver of the camp. John Budmeyer was the quarterback of the camp. And at that time, none of us were committed anywhere. I had no offers. Uh, it's, it's fun to look back in hindsight and like every player that committed to Wisconsin in that class was, you know, won the MVP of that camp. Um, but from there, that's, that's where, um, like I, I started to get, uh, real attention. Um, and it was great for me to see, you know, my school would put out college players, but mostly, you know, one or two a year to mostly Mac schools. And the kids at this Ohio State camp, you know, had offers to Alabama and all, you know, those bigger schools. And I I thought before I got into recruiting that like every linebacker was 6'2", 240 and ran a 4'4". And I kept looking around for like the kid that had the Alabama offer and he was like, you know, 6'1 and sloppy looking. <laughs> like, oh, I'm better than him. Uh, so uh that went well and then um I grew up I grew up a Wisconsin fan. My my dad grew up in Madison, my grandpa went to UW. Um so as it began to appear that I might, you know, have a shot, my dad said if 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 you could go to any school in the country, where would you choose? And I said Wisconsin. And then he's like, "Well, you should go to their camp." Um so June of uh, between my junior and senior year, uh my brother who helped me with recruiting just we drove up here and did uh we probably broke a rule because i don't think ohio players are allowed to wear pads in the summer but uh i did the padded camp for i think it's a money maker for wisconsin like the real recruits go to the one day but i did like the three-day padded camp and uh i got noticed the first day kicking and punting uh charlie partridge pulled me aside and they thought i was there to you know, you're a big punter 
Um, but then I did the rest of the camp and, and by day three, uh, Bilama offered me my first scholarship and I, uh, <laughs> I had no idea how it worked. So my, my dad was taking my little brother on a scouting trip and I called him. The reception was bad and that they offered me a scholarship. Like, I think I'm, should I just commit now? That's where I want to go. Is it, <laughs> that's what you want to do. Uh, so I called Bilama back 45 minutes later and, uh, you know, said I wanted to commit. Um, I'm sure he had some pangs of regret. Like I just, you know, in three days I met this kid and he's uh, under six feet and barely over 200. And I just offered him, but, uh, <laughs> well, he had, he told me that week, uh, he had a player at Kansas state that was a five, 10, two, 10 all American linebacker, um, that he said, I, I reminded him of, and we talked about Larry station, uh, and Chris Spielman, um, and it's a, I think it's a misconception. I, I think if you look at the list of NFL Hall of Fame linebackers, they're not tall. Um, you know, the only thing I would have changed about my body is a little bit longer arms to take on blocks. But I think it's a huge advantage to be 5'11", 6 feet. Um, you always have leverage. Um, you know, 6'7", offensive tackles hate leaning down to block you on if you're rushing off the edge. Like Elvis Dumerville, uh, Dwight Freeney, those guys—they uh, did all right. James Harrison. Um, so I, I, I viewed it as an advantage. Maybe that's how I had to view it, but um, it was incredibly exciting. Uh, that was, um, yeah, never forget that camp and 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 getting my first my ideal offer right away. Wait, go back. So, so you never played a snap of linebacker, and then you went. You were at this camp. They're like, okay, he's one of the top linebackers. And yeah. <laughs> what's so I, I find that I mean, what, they, what it says here, you were ranked number the 55 nationally ranked linebacker, which is pretty good, dude. Well, I never, uh, yeah, I never played linebacker and in, in organized football until my senior year. Um, you know, we had, a, we had, you know, 100 kids on our varsity team, and so no one played both ways, but. Um, they let me go in on defense occasionally. And I'm telling you that, you know, I knew nothing, uh, yeah. the, the coaching point and they would call the package badger. So I don't, I don't even know what the other players were doing, but my job, my co my linebackers coach, Phil Drayton would say, either go get the ball or guard that number. And I'd say, okay. And just go in there. I didn't know how to stand or anything. Um, but I think there's a lot of benefit to that because when I showed up to Wisconsin, like there was a steep learning curve, but I had no bad habits. I'd never really been coached by, you know, everything that I learned about linebacker. I learned from Dave Dorn, uh, Dave Huxtable, Andy Boo, and Dave Aranda. So guys that are the tops at teaching linebackers. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it, it's crazy to think about. I Dorn sent me a playbook after signing day. And I, you know, I just played running back really. And then we have our bad badger package in high school. So like, I didn't even know where I promise you, I showed up at Wisconsin and in hindsight, I should have just like learned and asked questions, but I was a little embarrassed and shy. My first goal of the first day of meetings of fall camp in 2009 was, okay, I know they're the A, B, C, and D gaps. But I thought it was A's on this side, B's on that side, C's on this. My first goal was to like get the gaps down and then go from there. Um, and I, I, the coaches were patient with me. The senior class that year was great. Um, there were many times I room with Avery McFadden, who was uh, back uh, 
for homecoming. Javery mentored me, Calmer St. Jean, um, even Blake Sorensen, who I was competing with, would, would teach me. Um, I'm sure I gave Doran headaches, but you know, many times pre-snap, I'd look back at Chris Maragos, like, and just not even ask the dude, just be, just kind of give him that look and then just run after the ball. But um, I learned enough and worked really hard at it uh, my freshman year that um, I could start and produce. Dude, that's amazing. Yeah, so dude, literally I, came was, in- I was doing spin moves and inside drill when I showed up at like, and for like, that's a cardinal sense. It's, it's like a running drill. And I would like juke and do a spin move on an offensive lineman. And they'd look at their coach like, <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and you know, Dorn, but don't f- spin. <laughs> I don't know, know you couldn't spin in a run, in a run, run play. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay. So you, so you get, well, well, let's go back for a second. You committed right then and there. What would, you came for a, a trip who hosted you? Like, what was your Wisconsin trip? Like your official, oh, your official. Yeah. Cause he had already committed before he took his official. Cause he committed at camp. So like yeah. you're already committed when you come on your official. Yeah. I came to like the, the day that where most guys that are committed come, uh, it was, I did come to a game. They played Ohio State that year. That wasn't an official, but um, they lost in a close one. Uh, it was DeAndre Levy played well, JC, uh, Jonathan Casillas. Mm-hmm. Uh, probably should have won that game, but it was a night game at Camp Randall against Ohio State. So incredible atmosphere. A lot of guys that would sign were there um, that I knew. It was like Pat Muldoon. We played in the same conference in high school. Um, a few other, you know, Wozniak, um, Duckworth. It was cool because I used to grow up playing basketball against those guys. And then we became you know, the same recruiting class. Um, so that weekend was a thrill. You know, I was still 17. So it was just, you know, a hotel room with my parents, I think. Um, the official was a lot of fun. I think that was in December. We went to a basketball game. Uh, Mickey Turner was my host. Um, and I've still close friends with Mickey. Um and yeah, he's like the ultimate host. I mean, he's like the director of recruiting now. And uh, <laughs> he must have posted, you know, dozens of times in college. Um, so it was it was exciting. Um, Mickey hung out with a lot of offensive linemen. When I was still small, you know, I was like 220. Um, we played 15 games and I went both ways my senior year. So I was probably down to like 205. And uh, I can remember walking into the Echo Tap with like, Gabe Karimi, Moffitt, Nagy, uh, John, I think uh, Shaughnessy, uh, a few other guys. And like, I'm hardly over 200 pounds and, you know, under six feet. And one of the, one of the, the echo taps changed. It's like uh, super, super nice now. It used to be a little bit more of a lovable. I mean, I loved it, but a little bit more of a dive bar. Um, one of the regulars, uh they said, Hey, this is Chris. He's, he's in the class. And he's like, what are you a kicker? And I like, you know, we were 17 in front of like Shaughnessy's going to the NFL in a few months. That's like, <laughs> that's embarrassing. Uh, so that inspired me to hit the weight room hard in the next six months. Oh, the echo tap inspiring people to hit the weight room. <laughs> so speaking of the weight room though, was there, did you have a, uh, like a wake up moment in the weight room be like, oh, this is like a different level than I was ready for coming out of high school. Because I mean, like the tales that Bernie has about JD and bot are amazing. So. No, I, uh, 
I, pre- I prepared like really hard. Um, the beginning of my sophomore year, I, I lifted weights like four times a week for two hours a day. Each time I, I worked out, my brother had like Googled uh, Brian Erlacher's workouts and I just, I don't know if they were accurate, but uh, that's what I did. Um, so I, I came in ready. Um, and her, that was a, that was a year where a strength coach is like licking his chops because the team had just gone seven and six, I think. There were times there was a little embarrassing as a recruit. Um, you know, all my friends are excited that I'm going to Wisconsin. We'd get together and watch games sometimes. And we watched the Penn State one at Camp Randall in 2008. And like team got blown out. And it was it was like, <laughs> it's embarrassing. Your friends are like politely asking if they can change the channel to another game. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, and the team got beat badly by Florida State at the Champs Sports Bowl. So the whole idea was like, we've gotten complacent. We're going to grind. We're going to, and like all that whole, and I think it was Ben Herbert's first year as head strength coach. Um, so I, I showed up to, you know, our Friday summer workouts. That's when freshmen joined. <laughs> all all it was i think was just pushing stuff in the indoor herb it was had, brutal herb had like 12 rows of like a t- tractor that's on neutral a tire a sled something else a box and you just push for like two hours <laughs> <laughs> aj Fenton, who came in and, and i love aj he wasn't you know i don't think he lifted weights for five four years two hours a week four times a week he was throwing up and like busy. And, um, but I think I, that's, I knew I wasn't the greatest athlete. Um, I knew I'd have to be in like the best possible shape. And I think I, I came in prepared. Do those station days on Friday, cause you'd work out in the morning was all legs. And then you directly go right up and say, put on a weight vest. And did you guys have the weight vest too? So I've got a confession. I, I've never once done stations. Oh, uh, I never once did them. So, well, I had, that, but on Friday it's kind of like that. You're saying push all these different things. Yeah, that's yeah. well. It was brutally hot in there, and, and like the indoors always a little bit muggy. Uh, yeah, that was. Um, but I, I'm not ashamed. I so stations. What we would call stations, at least, were like the five thirty uh, workouts in the indoor Wednesday and Saturday during winter workouts before spring ball. And they're brutal. Um, you got to like whip the team back in shape after the, after the winter break before spring ball. But I, and everybody always complains about them and has these legendary stories of like, oh, stations were so hard. Like never once, never once did one. I had three shoulder surgeries and just <laughs> then said goodbye to stations my fourth year. So uh, I, I guess I'll take their word for it. I'll tell you what, that grind is brutal. We would wear 20 pound weight vests that they would bobby pin all the weights into so like middle like pushing something your bobby pin would come undone stab you in the side and like stop and then get yelled at and you're like but this thing's stabbing me in the side and then jd which to me was a genius and kind of crazy and also it hurt was like we're going to replicate wearing helmets so you're going to wear a hat so now dudes wearing hats with this weight vest while you're pushing sleds we're like, dude, do you really need to replicate a helmet? Like, yeah, yeah. February? We did the same thing. Got to keep keep the heat in. Like, it's hot enough. Like, uh, <laughs> funny. Matt mentioned the number forty four. Uh, I, I I hated it when I first got to Wisconsin. I wore number four in high school. Um, I, I love Brett Favre growing up, and that you know, I, and uh, I guess their logic was if he likes one four, he'll like two. 
<laughs> but I, you know, I show up in the locker room and I see 44 on the locker. I, they didn't ask. I didn't pick. And it's just there. And, like, and I, I, no one was wearing four. And so I, I said, I asked Bielema, like, can I just, can I be number four? And he said, no, freshmen have to earn single digit numbers. Okay. Like, what does that mean? He's like, you got to be in the two deep. And, uh, I wasn't either in the two deep or in the two deep fast enough to get four. So I was stuck with 44 in my freshman year. And then I, I, you know, played well and didn't want to be a guy that changed his number. So it grew on me. But when I first saw it, I was, but the reason I brought that up was when you show up, uh, you get a lot of gear handed down to you by whatever guy wore the number previously, including like underwear. And, uh, I, I had like, Chris Presley's, uh, you know, it was like 280 fullback built like a, f- and I'm still, I'm like a 230 pound. And it like, and I'm like, they're sagging over my shorts. I'm rolling my, my girdle. Um, yeah, it was another one of those echo tap moments where I'm like, am I supposed to be as big as Chris Presley? No one is as Nobody big as Chris is. Presley. Come on now. I couldn't fit into a short. I could fit probably both my legs into one of his legs. We were, uh, Joe Thomas and I were in LA uh, around Super Bowl time, and Chris was out there too. So we got a workout in, and you know Joe works out hard, and I and I have been too lately. And I don't know that you know Chris. I'm sure he works out, but we're going through like a hard workout. It's just a breeze. Like Chris is you know squatting. Like is, this, is 400 good? Like uh, he's just built. He's built differently. He is built way differently. He showed up like that. He couldn't even hold the football. That's why they moved him from tailback. <laughs> dude, his biceps and his chest stuck out so much. He held the ball out here and fumbled every time he touched it. And they're like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. And when and when he he literally fumbled a lot because his he physically <laughs> was too big. Well, he and um, Redmeister were just killers on special teams and in the backfield. We had a very good um, culture at the time. It was me, Greg Root, and then Presley and Rent Meester um, came, and Josh Baltz, who was a little bit older. And really, I thought you had Brady there at the tail end, too. No, Brady wasn't there. Okay. I would have loved for him to be there, but he was not. And th- all we did was, you know, like we're like, we're going to be the toughest dudes in this, in this, on the offense. And also, our position was brutal. We were in an eye that only ran ISO and powers <laughs> I and like counters. So it's like, all you got to do is run into you guys all day. Look, I I, I love Brady and I and Derek Watt. I played against, uh, but I think they'd tell you the same thing. Like they were a different style of fullback than Billy and and Presley. And so, like, they were harder to defend on pass routes, and they were great position blockers. But uh, I am glad that I didn't fill B gap leads for four years against Billy Rentmeister. They they weren't the thumpers. I think that that we were. They were a little more technical. Yeah. Yeah. So who Um, was the big, big, who, I mean, you didn't really overlap with Chris. So who was the biggest freak in the weight room at at Wisconsin while you were there? uh, Kyle Costigan was, was uh, really impressive. David Gilbert, um, Des South, one of the best athletes I've encountered. Des only played one year of high school football and uh, mostly a basketball player, but had a mid forties vertical. I forget if you overlap with Leon Jacobs at all too. He's always one guy that people talk about as just like an, a ridiculous athlete. Leon, I think, was a freshman my my last year, and uh, yeah, I overlooked him because. Leon came in. He looked like the Under Armour dummy at Dick's. Like, just, <laughs> and, he, and he was one of these young guys. So I think he was seventeen when he was here. Um, 
but you know, six, two or three, two thirty-five, two forty, five percent body fat. He didn't drink protein shakes after lifting because he didn't like the taste. So you just work out and then like do whatever you want. <laughs> like you know, some people are very lucky in life. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, he's he's a, one of them. Yeah, the, he he chased down Melvin uh, his freshman training camp. You know, caught Melvin on a breakaway touchdown in the scrimmage. From you know, he started five or eight yards behind and ran him down over sixty. Uh, that was really impressive. Um, that I I love that dude. Um, <laughs> well, let's get back to you. Uh, so okay, so you knew you had to bust your hump in the weight room. You were conditioned. You were ready. Obviously, you're a hard worker. You had all these prerequisite skills. You played tennis, which actually makes a lot of sense to me as a linebacker now that I think about it. When did it come like you're like, I, I can play here. I could be I could excel. And then how did you go from like that to being legitimately the Dick Buckus Award winner and all these other awards that all American. are amazing? I mean, dude, you, you're the big you're the defensive player of the year. I mean, that's awesome. Yeah. And the names you're with are studs. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it happened very quickly. Um, <laughs> you People would laugh at me when I'd say I want to play big, you know, in the Big Ten or even play college football as, as you know, even my junior year of high school. Um, and then I get the Wisconsin scholarship. And then um, but I still didn't know if I could play at that level. Um, and I think. You know, Howie Long actually said one of the things that that made him good was that he never thought he was that good. And like, you know, I didn't I'm smaller than everybody and I'm and I'm not fast. So like there's always that you're only as good as the last thing that you did. Um, And I was a very hard worker and and we had um, great coaches. Um, So that that freshman year, frankly, was a surprise. Um, You know, I'm happy it happened. But um, I was still freelancing a lot. I was still putting a lot of stress on on my other teammates. You know, I was good natural athlete and and kind of good in a unique way that um, you know, like flexible and have good anticipation and vision. I wasn't a prototypical linebacker, um, so I had a lot to figure out still. Um, and I got hurt right away my sophomore year. Um, I'd had a surgery right after my freshman season, and very first game at UNLV. Um, it thought I re-aggravated the same injury, um, rehabbed it, tried to come back, played against Arizona state, um, and hurt it really badly. And so they thought maybe it's something different. And it turns out I had broken a bone in my shoulder. So I played my freshman season with a torn labrum, had that repaired. And that first game, uh, broke a bone called the glenoid in my shoulder. And so was trying to <laughs> trying to tackle Arizona State's. I made two tackles with a broken glenoid, so I'm proud of that. But um, that knocked me out for the season. I took a medical red shirt, um, and you know I thought at that time like maybe I'll never play football again. Um, the fact that it was a broken bone was good news. Two labral tears are hard to come back from, but bones heal. Um, and I used that time to actually learn the position of linebacker, uh, spent a ton of time in the film room, did what I had done in the weight room, in the film room, and came back my sophomore year, retro sophomore year, changed positions, changed defenses, changed position coaches, um, but knew what I was doing. And um, I actually think that that time off was really hard, but it was a blessing in disguise. Um, 
And that, that, that helped me the rest of the way. Um, I never played for the same linebacker. I played five years of linebacker in my life and never for the same coach. Um, so I think I was, that, that was great too, that, um, you know, I knew how to play Will, I knew how to play Mike, I knew how to play a little bit of Sam. I could play in a three, four or four, three. I knew coaches that like quarters versus, you know, match concepts versus blitzes and pressures and creepers. Um, so I learned a ton quickly at four in four years at Wisconsin five. Um, and that paid dividends when I was getting, um, you know, doing NFL visits and going to the combine. Cause I could get on the whiteboard and answer all of their questions. Well, what's it like, you know, your last year, you're a stud, literally a stud. You keep saying you're a little guy. You're not as fast. You're not this, you're not that you win all these amazing awards. I mean, you're talking about, you're one of the top five best guys to play at Wisconsin on the defense. If you look at who else run it, Troy Vincent, you know, Burke, Fletch, Erasmus, who I played with. Dude, these are names that are etched in stone at Wisconsin. Yeah. Um, what's it like, man? I mean, you're a young guy. I, I like I know dudes who won awards and they're like, I have no idea. But the, you're now not young. How cool is that? It's surreal. I mean, it's uh I bet Pete Monte Monty this past weekend at homecoming. We'd crossed paths before, but never chatted much. And uh you know, I stared at Pete's name for five years at Wisconsin. No one's made more tackles than him. He's number one on the leaderboard, Pete Monty, 451. And I wanted to break his record. I didn't. Um, I think our offense was a little better, controlled the ball more, and I didn't get to play against these three yards in a cloud of dust. But uh, great, great player in person. Um, and, you know, he's saying really nice things about me on Saturday. Um, so it, it's, it's, uh, it's surreal. I mean, I think... Uh, you know, you don't, I don't want to be self-effacing. Like I'm proud of, I'm proud of what I did, but like, I, you know, it's weird to, to, uh, <laughs> it's a loaded question. I, yeah, I get, you know, I get. Just be in these situations and, uh, where people are like telling you how good you are at something and, uh, yeah, just awkward, but, um, <laughs> I loved it. And, uh, yeah, it was a joy. I think like my, my, really my whole high school career, my first year at Wisconsin, we're just like such a charmed, we lost two games in high school. We beat both those teams in the playoffs to win our school's first state championship my senior year. I get a scholarship to my dream school. I'm freshman, Big Ten freshman of the year at my dream school. Um, the shoulder injuries were the first time where like football felt real. Um, and I think it wasn't, and it, that, that helped with some perspective. I don't think I ever got a big head, but um I think it was good for me at 19 to realize um, that this doesn't come easily and it could be taken away, you know, with one tackle at a weird angle. Um, and so I think I, I grew a lot as a person uh, when I was out with those shoulder injuries. And that I think is part of the reason that I've taken any accolades or personal or even team success with a grain of salt. Um, you know, Mike Taylor is every bit as good as a linebacker as I was. He just was slowed a little bit by uh, many, many surgeries. Um, I don't think Jonathan Casillas and DeAndre Levy get enough love when it comes to great linebackers. Um, they were phenomenal. I watched them my junior and senior year of high school. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I don't want to be falsely humble, but genuinely like it, it, it's a, you're always close to your career ending. And like, I appreciated that fact and I'm, I'm lucky it worked out, but, um, yeah, there's many great ones other, other than me yeah you talk about casillas and levy and like you know those guys and you have sort of started this tradition where wisconsin is now 
you know, arguably the preeminent linebacker producer in the country right now. You, you see how many guys are going to the NFL every year from Wisconsin. It's going to be more next year. But I know we don't have you for much longer. And even though I have a trillion more questions, we got to ask you guys about homecoming this weekend. What is the vibe like? Like I have to know. I wasn't there. A lot of our listeners, you know, weren't, weren't able to make it back. Guys, what is the vibe like in Madison with Jimmy as the coach? Like, what is the energy? Like, just describe, Chris. I'll go with you first. Describe just like what you felt this weekend. Yeah, um, this weekend was great. I, I moved back to Madison a year ago, so like I, I didn't travel for it. So many people were in, were excited. Jeff Mack, who's uh, part of the new LBU that Wisconsin is. Uh, He's kind of like a super host and, uh, you know, parties and get togethers and tailgates. Um, something that like I haven't experienced much. I uh, didn't grow up in Wisconsin and, you know, came back a few times. But like the whole set, I get it, like fans, like it's pretty amazing. Uh, so fun to indulge in all of that and see all of these people that, you know, but don't maybe don't know well. Um, in terms of the energy around around Jim, um one, I want to say, like, uh, Paul's a family friend. His dad coached my dad in high school, and we've known the Chris forever. And um, phenomenal coach and even better person. And so, uh, in a sense, I'm, I'm, you know, it's a it's a brutal business. But, like, you know, I don't I, – I kind of am happy that Paul doesn't have to do some of the recruiting bullshit that's going on. These Like, a picture with a Ferrari and a chain on the field. Like, he does – he wants to coach football. Um, so, I'm, I'm happy that he doesn't have to do that. But um, I'm excited for Jim. I think uh, – you know, I met him when he was in the league and I was at Wisconsin. And he uh, – you know, talk about a guy that has to find a way to be great. I and mean, he was one of the greatest, um, you know, when he looked like uh, – a water boy kind of uh <laughs> but he's got energy spark brilliance um and i think he um what i've seen the little i've seen of him he does a great job uh of kind of a more of a pro style approach of, of meeting players where they're at um i think this generation responds better to that um and i also think it's smart to go where the information is it wasn't until my senior year that i had a coach say like tell me what you're seeing out there what are your thoughts on what we should do this next series um, and, and when you do that, you're empowering players to be thinking all the time to be, you know, owning their defense or their core group position group or the team in large. Um, so I think that, uh, Jim does that naturally, his experience in the NFL will help him do that more. Um, and I know being friends with Mickey and, and, uh, Kyle cost again, there's a lot of energy, um, and excitement internally around, around Jim. Yeah, Burn. How about you? I mean, you were in town for it, so I mean, you know, I, all, I know you guys were both talking to a lot of former players, but Burn, you know, anything to add on that? Yeah, you know, for me, it's it, I'm so far removed now. Uh, well, one, Jimmy, I I came in with, and, and you know, I'm a huge fan. I'm, I played under Coach Chris for a number of years. Love the dude. So I'm with you on that. You know, I think that my pay grade's not even close to high enough to have any decision in this. So. When Wisconsin did what they did for their reasons, and I think I know some of them, but I might, I'm just happy Jimmy's there. You know, Jimmy's there to take the reins. If it was somebody else, I would be probably not as happy um, or not as okay with kind of the situation, I think is more what to say. Um, you know, it looks like the energy is different. Like you see him dancing in the in the locker room. I think nowadays uh, he's not doing anything but jumping around, right? But I think nowadays you expect that. If you're an 18, 17, 16-year-old kid, you expect to see your coach 
part of the team, not so in, in a different way. It does whatever that is. I'm thrilled to see Jimmy there. You know, he's a, been a friend forever. I was, you know, sit next next to his wife at Jet Games. So I, I truly love that he has taken over. And I think Coach Chris would, if we had him on, say he's happy that that's who took after him. Um, you know, there's nothing there's nothing I can say to be like, you go and sit in a room with some people that you played with, you see once a year, like Jeff Mack, like Lee Evans, like Anthony Davis, who's probably one of my truly favorite people in this world. Um, and then you're in a room and you watch Chris Borland walk in and like, Chris, I don't know if you saw my face, but like I'm, I lit up, man. I'm, I'm happy. Like Carlos Harper, Trayvon, Hay- like dudes I haven't seen maybe 10 years. So to me, that's what coming to a game is like. That's energy that you can't replicate. You know, Michael Bennett sitting in the same room, um, taking pick like all the pictures I have are me like doing like this, like weird faces or smiling. Uh, so like that's to me is special. And I was sitting at Wando's at 9 a.m. on Saturday. Vince Beagle walks in. Nice conversation with him. He's, you know, coming back from an Achilles injury. Um, I saw, uh, you know, Marty Stray, who's an outside linebacker. You know, nice Jewish guy. Shout out to us. We still won on the team. Um, you know, it's just it's just nice to be around the dudes. And I, and I think the energy is high. If you had to ask me, the stadium was excited. You That's know, coming think, through on yeah. the TV. Listen, we scored 21 points in like three minutes or five minutes, whatever it was. You know, how many times do you see, and Chris, you probably can tell tell me this too. You don't see a, a, us come out of the gates with a touchdown to immediately get a pick six. Mm-hmm. Like, that's not normal. And dudes are stepping up for Jimmy. And that's what I'm excited about. Absolutely. And I think, yeah, I think um, he'll empower him to do that. I mean, like, go out there and ball. I imagine that's part of the, you know, rather than follow every detail or rule, not that that's what Paul did, but... Um, you know, I, I, I know Rex's defense. That is Jimmy's defense that is related to Aranda's defense and we're going to have principles. Um, but the point is to free you to make plays and it's exciting to see what that might look like, you know, on all phases of the game. Yeah. And Matty P I, I, I just hope, you know, becoming the head coach is a way different beast than being the defense mm-hmm. coordinator. Absolutely. So I, I hope that Wisconsin empowers Jimmy to, you know, run with this a little bit. He is everything that we think of him and more, right? He's always been the underdog. He's always done that and he's excelled everywhere. So I think that's really exciting. And I just love the way these guys, just their, their swag is back. Like the old, you know, Barry Alvarez swag where it is. And so I, I, I think it's cool. Chris, I know we've we're over, but um, dude, we have so much more we could have talked about. Um, I'm just so excited for you. I think the the research and the bringing to light head injuries and and I think you the respect I have for you to do what you did is is beyond. And I think everyone in Wisconsin, whether they agree or disagree, the respect is through the roof. Um yeah, that was actually one quick question I just wanted to add. Like, you know, when when you when, when you retired from the NFL, were there a lot of, you know, your former teammates and batters who were there to support you during that, even if it's maybe a decision they wouldn't have made? Yeah, um, right away. I mean, that was um, what Bernie's expressing about the homecoming weekend. I, you know, I would exp- I experience right after I quit, um, you know, just concern about a friend, support, you know, being there for your teammate. Um, 
and then, you know, agreement and disagreement, the whole spectrum. Uh, some guys asking, reaching out for information and help for themselves, which is good. I think a lot of times the guys have had to deal with, um, you know, head injury by themselves. Um, so it, it can be a good thing. I know it's, it's a hard thing to talk about, but, um, it's reality and, and, uh, yeah, I, I always felt supported and, um, we've done some cool things at Wisconsin. Uh, yeah. So talk about the work that you're doing now. Yeah. Well, uh, I got to be careful with HIPAA. Uh, yes, of course. Of course. Anybody, I, as yeah. someone who works for a medical education nonprofit, I can say that, uh, yes, you have to be very careful with HIPAA. Well, um, we ran a first-of-its-kind pilot program and meditation with former college and NFL players. Uh, so This guy was here. I loved it. The participants are, yeah. So. Uh, oh, I can say I participated? Yeah. Yeah, okay, I participated. Yeah. <laughs> But you can great. volunteer that information, but he could not say that you were a participant without your express Chris, consent. You, I, I, you, Chris, you are a smart kid, man. I would have been like, Bernie, you were in it. <laughs> <laughs> That's why you should have a podcast and do have a podcast. It's better, it's more entertaining. Yeah. Um, but that, uh, yeah, I wanted to find something constructive from all of the noise around me quitting and, and not just, you know, be critical. Um, so there's a, there's a researcher at Wisconsin named Richie Davidson, uh, world leader and pioneer in proving that meditation changes your brain physiologically. Um, so met with Richie in 2015, said I wanted to do something with with and for uh, former teammates and former players, uh, and it manifested as that study in 2017. Uh, and from there, uh, Chris McIntosh and the athletic department have hired the nation's first director of meditation training. Uh, Chad McGee. So I don't, I imagine uh, they didn't know quite what to make of Chad at first internally, but, um, you know, I talked to a lot of athletes and that, you know, they love the work that he does coaches too. Um, you know, calming down, help with pain management, focus during perform, uh, performance, sleep. Um, Chad's a star. I uh, I'm excited for his future. Um, he's getting to shape the curriculum. He's the first uh, of his kind. So it's happening at Wisconsin. And you know, Bernie, we need like, to get him on the podcast is what we need to do. We need to. Oh, no, he's Chad's the best. He he he's great. I think there are people in there who are like, I won't name names since I now know I shouldn't. But there are people in there who are probably like, this is not worth like my time. And then came out after 10 sessions or whatever he did and said, wow, this is something that I should continue you know, even just the breathing exercises, the relaxing, if you're not doing the full meditation, I think even just that alone is something that could change your whole, you know, we're talking about breathing through, you know, road rage and breathing through, you can't sleep and all these different, like these different scenarios that this meditation can help you with, even on a minuscule scale. Yeah. I think it has the cumulative effect. So, I mean, a minute or two a day. Um, but I, I, I'm so thrilled that Chris McIntosh had the vision to hire Chad. Chad continues to do great work. And I always think of it like my dad played college football in the early 70s. They hardly had a weight room. Like we're going to look back and say like, wait, you didn't train your mind. Uh, you just kind of left that up to chance. Um, so Chad's addressing that. I think wait, before you, I think there's that. And I think there was no school like sports psychologist. And I think that is a huge was if I did. If I if there was one, I'm sorry, I don't remember ever <laughs> seeing you. So, but I I think that 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 those two groups need to be tremendously larger 
and forced upon students. I think psychology, the psychiatrist and psychiatrist for sure needs to be forced on people. We football, <laughs> we play at the highest. Listen, maybe don't I, force, maybe don't force talking you, you know what? anybody, I, but Maybe not, but listen, you know what? Make sure that's available. Dude, they forced me to go to training table and and um, study table and like st- sit there for two hours and like maybe not study, but they made you do it. I think there is, you, dude, you got it. No one talks, the amount of pressure a football player is under and an athlete in general, and I'll talk only football because that's my experience, at a high level is a pressure cooker for someone to do something or to explode. Or you said you trained your body. Dude, my body was built. You know, imagine drinking 10 beers and punching someone in the face. You could kill somebody. I never did that because I literally love everyone. I just had a good time. <laughs> but it, it, you know, like you're under this immense pressure to be good, to always be number one and to, to play injured, right? To play, you got gone to play through that. And I want that. I think that's what, what is wrong with football and it should change. And I think you do too. But the, to, to say you shouldn't talk to someone, let some, I think you should be like, listen, you have to do this. Here are four different people. Here are their backgrounds. Pick one person. It's, what's great about Chad is his work's based at the Center for Healthy Minds, which is the premier meditation research place in the world or among them. Uh, so it's all backed by science. Um, and it's the same as it just it's physiological um you know people used to think that weightlifting would make you stiff so good athletes don't lift weights people might think that meditating makes you soft or you know calm not true um so yeah i'm excited and i i uh i can tell you you know i think a couple of weeks ago muma put out like a mindful monday about him doing like loving kindness meditation and i i think he's playing great i haven't watched a ton oh he's yeah i mean he's been great He's been fantastic. All three of those, that that middle linebacker rotation of him, Cheney, and Turner, all three of those guys have been fantastic this year. So you can uh, you can be a daily meditator and, a, and an all Big Ten performer. And Chris, can you, uh, you you're doing more than just that, right? You're still yeah. you're yeah yeah. So uh, I was hired in 2018 to work uh, to produce a podcast for the Players Tribune. Uh, and got more involved in media then. So um, I'm the executive producer of a documentary called Requiem for a Running Back. Uh, that'll be out early 2023. Two other docs, one in, in production, one in pre-production, and a podcast that uh, kind of more of like an audio documentary that should be out next year. So mostly media work, uh, but I'm still, I'm a fellow at the Center for Healthy Minds, and I and I teach some meditation myself. But uh, a far cry from what I thought I'd be doing, but I'm, I'm loving it all. Well, listen, man, one of the people I respect the absolute most, and also one of like, you are talked about very highly by everyone. Some random person, I can't remember who it was, was like, hey, I just met this guy. He's the nicest guy. Played football. I'm like, I know who it is. It's not me. It's Chris Borland. And they're like, yeah, he was such a sweetheart. I'm like, I know. He's really nice. Uh, well, I don't know what to say to that, but I I, uh, I appreciate our friendship. Uh, I re- the same thing when I saw you at Eno Vino uh, last Friday night, got a big smile and walked you know right up to you and said, "Hey, Bernie," um, and you've got the biggest fan in Rick Calson, who's the chair of the history department. He's a nice guy too. Yeah, He's I've been texting with him. I'm glad Rick like. I I joined the board a year or two ago, and uh, Rick said, "Hey, do you know Alec Lerner?" And like, no one knows Alec Lerner. He was our backup kicker for like a year and a half. One of my good friends. 
Rick, I think, has a special place in his heart for all of the the Jewish Badgers on the football team. So he, sure. he knows all of your stats. He knows all about Gabe Karimi. And uh, it was great that you guys got to meet. Uh, I think we're grabbing lunch in a couple of weeks. Oh, great. Great. Yeah. And I'll see you for the Badgers in finance. Yeah. Uh, November 8th, Tuesday. November right? 8th. Oh, man. It's exciting. See, what's really cool about the, the Brotherhood, which we didn't really mention that much, is that like you meet dudes from 10 years of different or three four five years difference and you everyone's just friends and the respect is there and the you just know what you went through through yeah. thick and thin there's an immediate bond and yeah. um you know i'm not pressed for time i know you guys probably want to keep the show at a certain length but um you know in, in a certain type of person i mean i, I you see you know you notice it when you're in the nfl like wisconsin guys are like unique and they're character and depth and curiosity and, and it, like it's uh it's a group of guys i like to i, I like to belong to and uh just did you did, did you realize that coming in like coming out of high school that, that it was going to be a, a group like that because well, like we, we all like wisconsin is unique like everyone talks about how wisconsin really is unique and how they've even found that from talking with you know even in your league you're in the league i'm sure you found that your wisconsin collegiate experience was very different than someone who went to alabama or texas a&m or whatever well, I suspected it was true, but you never really know. Uh, you know, I only had one college experience. The NFL was enlightening, though, because, like, there wasn't as strong of bonds for, I won't name schools, but they were like, eh, whatever. And, and there wasn't, like, that pregame chat before a game or just keeping in touch in general as you're um, – it is uh, it is special, and I think it's, it's not entirely unique. I think other schools, like – you know, Stanford and Northwestern and Michigan and uh, like a uh, little bit, a little bit Ohio State. I won't give them uh, as much credit as us um, have strong bonds between players. But it's it's, you know, I don't think every player that comes back for homecoming, you know, has an hour long conversation with a Jeff Mack and a Pete Monty and a Matt, Matt Bernstein and uh, go down the list. Lee Evans. Um Anthony Davis, who was my study hall advisor my freshman year, uh, he used to bust my chops. Uh, just great people, um, and that's that's fun. It's like the trope in recruiting has become it's a forty year decision, not a four year one. And um, I, I do think it's largely true at Wisconsin. Pete Monty is another one of my like he's a he's a funny dude. He was he's normal now, and he lost a ton of weight, so it doesn't even look like a football player. He was not normal um, when he was in college, the pros. And I didn't spend any time with him there. Right after, I've spent some time with him. And he is a wild man. But, you know, I think football has, has taken different, you know, like you have different, um, I don't know, I'm like forgetting the word, but every 20 years, it's like a different group of people. Well, and it's... Um, Generations. Yeah, I mean, like, you're right. And I've like... You know, I've done advocacy around brain injury in football, but I don't think we have to throw the baby out with the bathwater. Uh, I gave a talk once and a woman asked me if if jogging was bad for your brain because your brain jostles inside your skull while you're jogging. I'm like, you know, if that if it gets if we're getting down to that point, let's just, you know, we can't round all the corners on life. And there are people that have great, you know, have energy and vitality and uh you know, I think that channeled in the right direction. You see a lot of former football players that are having a lot of success, like like Pete has. I'll just ask you one more because I mentioned this when we were together. You, Tommy, you were there. I was in the NFL for maybe a second. I think what Miami did was 
was scary. And when you're talking about football in general, right, becoming where we've gone. When I was playing, you got your bell rung. There was no studies. You took the test, you know, the, the click test to see how fast you were getting answers. Dudes were just getting answers wrong so they could click through it fast. So there was like no reason to do well on it. Cause and if you did well, we did you, the same. I would throw yeah. the I would throw the baseline to give myself a little leeway so I wouldn't miss a game. Uh what Miami did was I went on all things considered with Chris Nowinski the Saturday after I was gonna ask about because I I was listening to an interview with Chris Nowinski as well after and I mean he said it was basically criminal. Yeah, I was I was gonna use that word too. And I like I don't, you know. It's NPR, so you like you kind of you t- take on their well, and I think, but like, look, I don't know what the fuck to like. They literally killed a guy. They watched him get concussed, and they put him in a game four days later. And he, you know, people die from second impact syndrome every week. So I don't know what, like, you know, scariest thing I've ever seen. He looked like he was on the the ring, the movie with his fingers. The fingers were, and, and there was a doctor. You could go on Twitter. There were doctors all over saying this guy should not be playing. It's a it's it is criminal. And calling the first one a back injury. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. Come on. So, and this is with the whole world watching and it's with, you know, the NFL promoting their protocol. And uh, yeah, you know, if that's the treatment, the star quarterback for the Miami Dolphins gets what's a five year old in Dade County who's has an uncle gambling on the game. What What's he getting? I, I don't know. I just, uh, you know, I think you being a pioneer and bringing these things to light is so helpful. I, I, you must have changed, and you probably don't even think about this, but you probably have changed the landscape of football across all levels. I don't, I mean, I don't know. You would not say that, but I would say that you would. And one, you're a very humble human being, so thank you for that. But, dude, you you definitely did. And I think that's a good thing. Like, you did, you did a solid for, one, football players – but for for the game of football, I don't know what impact I've, I've had. Um, but I think it's 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 an opportunity. I mean, like football had an inflection point in the early 20th century when the NCAA was formed. Players were just dying because of these mass formation plays and no rules, so they invent the pass, make it a little bit safer. I think the discovery of CT is another inflection point, and just wait to play until you're older, hit your head less, you know, have a have a hit count like you have a pitch count. It's absurd to think that we protect elbows better than youth brains. Um, and you can make these changes and make it largely safer for 95% of people that ever put on a helmet and the product wouldn't change at all. Um, the shame is that I think, you know, the NFL, um, you know, has the bottom line in mind when they're making these messages that affect the health of young people. So it's an ocean liner. It's not my full-time job. I think I've given it everything I have, but I'm, I'm, I'm glad that it's uh, opened some eyes. And we're glad that you have been the consistent voice through it all, because I think a lesser person would have crumbled under some of the criticism and pressure that you faced. So I think it's it's pretty, pretty remarkable. I, I, it wasn't fun. I, I, I appreciate that. But, you you know, like it's something to be said about nowadays. You stuck to your guns. You weren't letting outside influences change your mind. To me, that's that's crazy respectable. I mean, literally, if I said, you know, I don't think I would have done it. And I'll be completely honest. To me, football was life for 20 years. Right. And I've had my helmet knocked off and I'm sure I saw stars a number of times and I literally would not have done that. But thinking back now as a almost 40 year old, um, man, I, I think what you did is is you're a leader, dude, amongst everybody. 
Well, and I think, listen, I think it's special. You can argue with me about how special you are anytime you want, but I think that's special. And I think what you've done for football is huge. Whether you think it is or not, or what you've done for brain injuries, it is a, it's a big deal, man. Well, thank you. Um, and I, it's just good that we can have, you know, it's not black and white. Um, it, to in everything in, the, in today's world, it's cast as pro or anti, black and white. There's a lot of nuance. There's a lot of room for improvement. So um, it feels like culturally we're ready to take it, you know, more seriously and do some sensible things. And I, I think what a lot of people are starting to realize is that you know it's uh you can you like you said it's not black and white. You can reduce concussions without eliminating football. And the product won't change. I think that's that's the key. And yes, the NFL is a business. It's bottom line for them. But the rest of the world, maybe not college too, is a little bottom liners. But the product won't change. And even when you see these targeting and um, these penalties and defenseless receivers, to me, dude, you can't watch Ronnie Lott. Like no parent's going to watch that dude literally destroy somebody over the middle anymore. Like it's it's not. There's no more jacked up segment. Well, you know, <laughs> Bernie, like that's not the issue. So it's like in the B get, no one really even sees the collision on a lead play. Right. I mean, it's in, right. it's in a mass of bodies. That's the same G force as what's being flagged for spearing. So like, uh, I think they're throwing those flags sometimes for perception. Um, and I think it's unfair to players. Um, like, it, you know, in some saying? of the, right. It, yeah. you, it's you, you're, you, we're talking more like a malicious try to hurt yeah. somebody. Yeah, well, I, I, I I don't like it when uh, you know a college player gets ejected for the game for making a tackle. I think that you're trying to like accomplish a PR goal by taking a kid out from one of his twelve opportunities a year. Um, so a conversation for another day. But um, and some of the first of all, I I I hate it because you're you're penalizing a kid who might never play again, right? Like Colin Wilder, like Colin Wilder, who is a who is a great. He gets one. <laughs> The guy was going down. He, you know, it's 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 definitely controversial. Um, I understand the rule, but it sucks to see a kid who now he never played again. Yeah, and I mean, that to me is is a travesty, right? Like these kids are putting out their lives for this for teams, and and that one play doesn't uh, have a huge impact on whether or not it's healthy to play. If he'd have if he had the same NFL rules and had one contact practice a week throughout the season and, you know, maybe no spring ball or less than 15 bowl practices. That's a lot less hits to the head. So then uh, he can go ahead and play the game of football on Saturday rather than uh, I don't even know how I don't watch a lot, um, but some, you know, you'll see on Twitter or something like a flag for a tackle. And I think, you know, not a, you know, just as a, fo- a linebacker, what, like, what should I do? Well, the, the NFL is an offense uh, based, you know, we, we can, we're diving deep, but I, I, I think I will stand on a pillbox whenever I need to and say, you did the right thing. And the great thing for football on every level, whether you agree, cause you're such a nice guy or not, dude, it, it, it matters. And, and also like, listen, for a guy who's a stubborn idiot, you know, downhill fullback like me to even think about one, think about meditation, think about my health, like, right. Like, I took hits in high school, in college, after college. I was, you know, I had blood coming down my face like an idiot practicing. Like, who the, so stupid. So now it's, now it's, you know, 
let's not let it get to a point. Let's be proactive. So I think you have done that for me. So if you've done it for me, then you've done it for a lot of people. Well, but that's all. I'll, I'll leave it there. I, I appreciate that. And you're, you're, <laughs> great, you're a great ambassador. Thank you, Vern. Well, that's going to be a perfect spot for us to uh, wrap it up here today because I actually have to go hop on another meeting. But, uh, Chris, we cannot thank you enough for your time. Um, where can people find out more information about, uh, you know, the mindful stuff, um, you know, all the stuff that you're working on? Uh, the things that I'm doing are in my Twitter bios. So that's probably the awesome. easiest. Um, just check me out there. Yep. So make sure to check out Chris on Twitter. Uh, we will be back with, uh, uh, well, it's a bye week. So no Monday morning fullback this week. We'll be back with Garrett Dooley next week, um, which will be exciting. That'll be a lot of fun. Another linebacker bringing in all the linebackers these days. We're solid. We're good on wide receivers and linebackers. Yeah. It's strange in running backs, obviously in running backs. Uh, awesome. Well, I really appreciate it guys. Thanks for, thanks Thank for having you me. So Chris, thank you so much. Until next You're time best, on man. Wisconsin. On Wisconsin. Thanks for listening to the Believe in Badger Football podcast on the Believe Podcast Network, presented by betonline.ag. If you like what you hear, please subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts, and follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Believe in Badgers. That's B-L-E-A-V in Badgers. Also, make sure to check out our YouTube page for full videos of our podcasts. The show is produced by Matt Perkins and Matt Bernstein with audio editing and mixing by Matt Perkins. Our theme music is by Matt Blaustein. Thanks again for listening and on Wisconsin. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.